Welcome to the Leaf by Lantern podcast, a show for Christian artists who want to retell fairy tales in the light of scripture. We'll discuss how to approach retelling a fairy tale according to the truth and beauty of the Bible, from ethical issues to images like rose gardens and dragon hordes. I'm your host, Alicia Pollard. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the finale of season one of Leaf by Lantern. I've experimented and explored and drafted and refined and learned a lot. From trying to describe my vision in the introductory episode, which took the longest to make, looking at the characteristics of a fairy tale and how to translate them to a different medium, to exploring some of my favorite tales, including the Black Bull of Norway and the Three Princesses, I've discovered a lot about scripture, fairy tales, writing, podcasting, and myself. To close this season, I'm going to talk about the art of creating a good happy ending for a fairy tale retelling, using scripture as the illumination for truth and beauty. To close the episode, I'll share a couple of things I learned in making this podcast, in case they're interesting or useful to other people. So first, how to approach happy endings for fairy tale retellings in the light of scripture. Some of these principles felt fairly obvious as I wrote them down, but I find it helpful to remember the reason behind basic principles of study or art every once in a while. I'll talk about the lack of surprise, the gospel connection, and the use of motifs, and then look at Isaiah 11 as an example of a happy ending in the Bible. Fair warning on something. I'm talking about endings, so I can't help but spoil some specific stories as I give examples. I'll spoil or partly spoil Frances Hodgson Burnett's Secret Garden, Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, Roald Dahl's Matilda, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, and Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. So if you don't want any of those spoiled, please go read the book before you listen. First principle, the lack of surprise. Like the gospel, a fairy tale retelling does not usually have a surprised ending. This is a folklore principle. A fairy tale by classification has a happy ending. If it doesn't have a happy ending, it's some other kind of tale, like a cautionary tale. Will the prince find Cinderella? Will Hansel and Gretel escape the witch? Will Jack defeat the giant? A traditional retelling sticks with the original happy ever after. If it didn't, I as a reader would be shocked, horrified, and indignant, unless the artist is doing a clever subversion of the normal happy ending in order to somehow achieve a better happy ending, in which case, sure, I I think that can work, but usually, yes, I want my happy ending. This knowledge that there will definitely be a happy ending comes from the Bible. We know how history will end. We are in a divine comedy, as Dante put it, comedies being the opposite of tragedies, because God will be victorious. However, that certain victory contains many unknowns. We don't know how our lives will turn out, if we'll be able to have children, what kinds of ministry God may call us to, whether a sick person will heal, who will win a particular war. This reality, that your audience knows you're building towards a happy ending, gives you the same opportunity a theater director has in staging a Shakespeare play or some other well-known production. Audience members don't usually come to those ones to find out what happens. They'll come to see how you do it. You are set free in certain ways from the pressure of total originality. The audience is going to take pleasure in how you shape the characters, setting, and the mysterious whys and hows of the fairy tale plot. There is freedom within that structure, and it's a time for play. 
So enjoy it. So that's the first principle, more of an attitude shift than anything really practical. But be joyful in play because the happy ending is assured. Second principle, gospel connection. I believe there are different types of happy endings. I came up with this idea from a Charles Simeon Trust Society conference I attended recently. The Charles Simeon Trust Society trains Bible preachers and teachers to teach scripture. And one of their tenets is that when you're teaching, you need to connect every biblical passage to the gospel, to Jesus Christ. But one speaker at the conference had a piece of advice, which I really appreciated. She said, you don't always need to connect your passage to the cross of Christ, his death and suffering, every time you teach. If you're doing that every week, that may even become trite. You could instead connect it to different parts of the Lord Jesus' life, such as his incarnation, maybe his miracles, his teachings, his ascension, his enthronement, or his second coming. So think of it this way. These are different styles that are still biblical for a happy ending. You could have an ascension ending, like there is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when the Lord Jesus goes back to heaven and his disciples stay on earth to build the church with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The idea here is that there has been an incredible victory. The tide of history has changed, but there's still lots of work to do and suffering to endure before final victory. You could have a revelation ending in which everything does turn out perfectly and there are no lingering problems. The couple gets married and they drive off into the mountains laughing. You could have an incarnation ending, which may look more like a greater beginning. Something marvelous and unexpected has just begun. The blue doorway, which has been locked the entire time, slowly opens. The wasteland begins to bloom. The miracle child is born. The end of the secret garden is a little like this. You could have a miracle ending, a metamorphosis, like water turning into wine, or a healing, like a lame man walking. So explore how the ending of your story can have notes of completion, restoration, a new beginning, healing, and possibly more work to be done. Third principle, use motifs from the fairy tale in your retelling. This is an artistic principle which also imitates scripture to give your happy ending a visceral and heartfelt sense of completion by using a motif or an image that you introduce at the beginning that recurs through the work and closes at the end. I got this idea from a lecture by Andy Patton called The Psalm Code, Genesis Imagery in the Psalms. He explores how key images from Genesis are echoed throughout scripture and then fulfilled in Revelation. For example, the Garden of Eden in Genesis is matched and surpassed by the Garden City of the New Jerusalem in Revelation. This is especially powerful when the image is not just repeated, but completed or consummated. As one interesting example, in the beginning of Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights, the narrator Lockwood is startled awake at night by the ghost of Kathy tapping at the window. It's very creepy. Much later in the book, almost at the end, Kathy's daughter, Catherine, uses that same window to escape out to get to her father's deathbed. So the same window had the ghost mother trying to enter unsuccessfully, and then later the live daughter successfully escaping. I got that insight from a footnote in the annotated edition of Wuthering Heights. Another example of a beautiful motif is the tree in The Lord of the Rings called the Party Tree. 
the one Bilbo Baggins stood under when he put on the ring at his birthday party in order to scare everyone. That tree is tragically cut down, but after the Battle of the Shire, Sam Gamgee plants a glorious Malorn tree on the same spot. When you create a fairy tale retelling, you could use motifs by just starting with the concrete images that are already given to you in the fairy tale, the Briar Rose of Sleeping Beauty or the Spinning Wheel of Rumpelstiltskin. So that was the third principle. Find a way to use a motif, an image that recurs and involves some kind of change or transition. I'll talk now about a happy ending that we can see in scripture and what we can learn from it. The ultimate happy ending of scripture is, of course, the end of Revelation, that glorious picture of the holy city Jerusalem. That is our happy ending, the real one, which is coming soon. But that passage is so special to me that I want to spend more time with it before discussing it. For now, I'll look at a different eschatological or end times passage, Isaiah 11. I'll read verses 1 through 11 and then talk about it a little. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. There's so much to delve into in this beautiful passage. Poetry, prophecy, parallelism, the Trinity, eschatology, and much more. For my purposes, I'm going to draw just a couple of threads that we artists could learn from in relation to happy endings. First, justice. It took me reading and rereading the chapters before this one to feel the full weight of Isaiah's emphasis. This son of Amos has been calling for repentance and condemning injustice and rebellion in Israel and Judah since the first chapter. Isaiah 5, 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, and for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Iniquity, evildoers, oppression of the fatherless and the widow, idolatry, false sacrifice, debauchery. Isaiah warns Judah and Jerusalem that there will be fire, bloodshed, poverty, starvation, plague, and desolation if they do not turn back to God. So when the shoot of the stump of Jesse comes, 
for whom righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins, who judges with righteousness and decides with equity. The right response is a sigh of relief and thanksgiving because things are made right again. Fairy tales are very concerned with justice, with judgment and the restoration of righteousness. Part of the happy ending is often a brutal retribution for the wicked stepmother or evil dwarf. There's a reason why, as a child, I loved the end of Roald Dahl's Matilda, when children throw things and laugh as Principal Trunchbull runs away from the school she is bullied. Or the end of the fifth Harry Potter book, when Professor Umbridge is similarly treated. It is satisfying to see evil punished. In those cases especially, when these authors made the villains completely unsympathetic so that they can stand for pure tyranny. Now, a fairy tale is, as I've said, a distilled, purified, and intentionally simplistic art form. A retelling in the form of a novel or a play may need to take a more long-term approach to justice and righteousness. For example, in Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, the original book, Thenardier, a con artist, thief, trickster, and manipulator who has no conscience and who even robs the dead, gets clean away from France at the end. He goes to South America and becomes a slave trader. We don't see justice for him, not right away. But the full story shows the transcendent reality of justice, righteousness, and grace, with the assurance that God will make all things right in his timing. So a good happy ending is written in light of that knowledge. I think a lot of people are anxious that a happy ending doesn't seem too perfect or too good, because that would be unrealistic. I think if you portray justice as fully as you can and make the ending a work of healing instead of erasing or forgetting pain, that will help you avoid that sense of false or contrived happiness. Notice at the end of the Isaiah passage, it's the remnant that's being called, the faithful, not every single person who rebelled. There was a real loss from that rebellion. Second idea from Isaiah 11, peace. The second part of the passage is a beautiful picture of perfect peace, an end of bloodshed, of hurting and destroying, a turn from warfare, division, and injustice to former enemies playing, lying down, and dwelling together. The haunting musicality of this passage is due in part to the fact that Isaiah shows this peace in concrete images. He doesn't actually use the word peace, that's my interpretive summary, but he puts natural enemies like the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the young goat, the calf and lion and fattened calf together, led by a little child. Unless your fairy tale retelling is part of a larger series, and even then, its happy ending needs to echo this piece somehow. One of the sweetest and hardest things to portray, I think, is relational reconciliation, an honest recognition of harm, and then forgiveness and a reestablishment of love and trust. Jane Austen managed this brilliantly in Pride and Prejudice. When Lizzie and Mr. Darcy are able to talk, admit the wrong they've both done, forgive, and then love. In Isaiah 11, this beautiful rest is the glory of the shoot of the stump of Jesse, who we know to be an heir of the house of David because Jesse was David's father. God promised David in 2 Samuel 7, 12-13 to take one of David's offspring and establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. That's the first part of Ephesians 2.14. This perfect peace only comes because the one who has the Spirit of the Lord resting on him, who reigns with justice and faithfulness, wisdom and power, 
has been raised up. The best and most beautiful fairy tales depict the structure of the gospel through images, like characters falling down wells in an image of death or completing impossible tasks. So the messianic and redemptive notes that enable this perfect peace are there. You just have to find them. So those are some thoughts on the lack of surprise, gospel connection, and use of motifs that could maybe help you craft a good happy ending for a fairy tale retelling, as well as some thoughts about justice and peace in Isaiah 11. I'll close this episode with a few things that I learned from making season one of this podcast in case they're useful to anyone else. First, on studying scripture, I was raised to study scripture carefully and reverently to honor the text as breathed out by God himself and sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary to respect the whole counsel of scripture and not take things out of context, use analytical tools like structure, repetition, Greek and Hebrew vocabulary, and cross-referencing to glean the meaning of a passage. Basically, use all these tools to listen. This method is often called inductive study. However, the nature of this podcast project meant that I couldn't actually use simple, straightforward, inductive study. In asking targeted, specific questions like, what does the Bible say about sisterhood? I'm using deductive study, which is topic-based. I had to understand something that I had not thought about before in these terms, that we need both inductive and deductive study to approach the Bible. A discipline of consistent, prayerful inductive study helps you in those situations where you have a life application question or a theological issue. If I study the book of Ecclesiastes, for example, using the inductive method, trying to figure out the meaning of the inspired text and how it applies to my life, that study equips me better when I start to feel depressed about my boring day job and wonder what is the point of life anyway, and go to scripture to find out. So that was something I really valued learning through this project. The daily practice of inductive study equips us to do good deductive study in times of questioning, crisis, or decision-making. Second thing I learned, and this one was more about writing. There's a quote that I thought was from Mark Twain, but I looked on Quote Investigator and it said it was actually Blaise Pascal first. So wh whoever said it, something like, I have made this letter longer than usual because I have not had time to make it shorter. It's funny because it's true. And that's definitely what it's been like writing scripts for this podcast. I'm naturally verbose. So most of my editing is cutting and cutting and cutting. On that topic, I found that I am just barely able to draft and publish an episode within one week. But because of all the script editing and audio editing required, it's a pretty stressful week. I'm considering delaying a second season or making the schedule every two weeks instead of one to give myself more time to refine. So in summary, going forward with this podcast, I hope to make my study of scripture deeper and more thorough and give myself more time for researching and editing. Thanks for listening. Join next season to learn more about retelling fairy tales according to the truth and beauty of the Bible. Thank you.